0: Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek.
1: And I'm Ryan Cooper. Today we talk about our our good friend, friend of the pod, uh, and current Democratic presidential uh race front runner Joseph Robinette Biden.
0: God rest his soul. Yeah. Wait, no. <laughs>
1: he's he's still kicking for the moment, but um, you know, since he is now in the lead, we thought it would be a good a good uh, idea to take the entire episode and go through his record with maybe not a fine-tooth comb because that would take about 50 hours but uh, you know sort of loose like one of those you know brushes and try to shake out you know the the nits of neoliberalism to, from this fucking monstrosity <laughs> to mix our
0: metaphors there there's a lot of uh, brittle skeleton bones in the closet there and <laughs> <laughs> i mean a lot of osteoporosis and we want to respect our elders generally But unfortunately, here, for the sake of the country, we have to do a a devastating takedown of, uh, frankly, a terrible person with a terrible record.
1: He has been an overwhelmingly negative influence on the country. I think it's inarguable to say that one of the worst senators in the Democratic Party of the last uh, 50 years. He's been involved in almost every terrible decision every capitulation um and every 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 bad you know giveaway to the corporate class and the billionaire class uh it's pretty much since he stepped foot
0: every kind of moral failing um from moral turpitude to malice to uh to simple incompetence to um Failing to have the courage to fight for things of principle, to having the wrong principles to nepotism to corruption, to sniffing women 's hair uh, to groping children, we have a whole whole lot to get into it's it 's going to be a long episode but but worthwhile and I, and I want to especially focus on this anti Biden episode that I hope everyone shares with everyone you know that might possibly consider. Joe Biden as a candidate, um, but also anyone who already is on board with hating Biden that wants to be armed with all the reasons to convince other people not to vote for him. Yeah. There's a comparison I like to make because we did a Bloomberg takedown, which thank God we don't need to do that anymore. He's out.
1: Yeah, we we did it.
0: (laughs) Us and Warren. Whatever the opposite of the left anchor bump would be, the left anchor burial. I don't know.
1: We threw the left anchor around his neck and (laughs) he took him down. Down to Davy Jones' locker
0: with uh, with uh, Elizabeth Warren's debate takedown. The yeah, t- the that two was of us together.
1: really the the major thing.
0: Her her takedown in our episode. But if see the thing with Bloomberg is when he actually spoke and when his record came out, it was pretty obvious how dangerous and terrible he he is and he was. But I, I would I would liken you know when you think about danger, so considering biden's record i think it's apropos to discuss a metaphor related to to drugs right and so if you think of the danger right you think of the danger of drugs and you think of um what's really dangerous you have to consider not just the toxicity but also how accepted a drug is right so for example heroin very dangerous but most people are pretty aware of its dangers and therefore don't you know take the risk of, of you know shooting up with heroin right
1: yeah Harder to get somewhat
0: that too. But I also think that people are kind of aware of the risks, yeah. but that's why there are not as many deaths from heroin as say cigarettes and alcohol, which yeah. also very, very toxic, but also widely accepted and normalized. And I yeah. would like to say that uh, Bloomberg is to heroin as Biden is to cigarettes and alcohol. Yeah. And so we need to do some awareness here. Some, uh, <laughs> some risk assessment, both in terms of the flat-out danger to the body politic and how it will kill us if we elect this man and the fact that he probably will not get elected anyway.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, and that's, that's how we're going to do it. Um, you know, first we'll go through his record and, um, you know, tell you about all the horrible things, well, there's some of them anyways, uh, but, but then we'll go into the electability case. Um, and, you know, because I think a lot of, a lot of Democrats, they just don't care. Or, or they will make excuses.
0: Vote blue, no matter who. We want to defeat Trump, and the media seems—I yeah. don't know—for some financial reason to want to convince everyone that Biden's the one to do that job.
1: Yeah, so we'll give you every every arrow in the quiver here. And so let's let's start at the beginning. Back in uh, the 1970s, when when Biden was a fresh faced, bushy tailed young <laughs> senator, I Shit. think and he was elected first in uh, 72 i believe somewhere in there i think he was he was actually not eligible to hold office until after he was elected but because he turned 30 in between uh the election and, and when he was seated um he he was he could still take that seat and so anyways you know for For his first couple of years, Biden was a pretty ordinary Democrat, but this was right when the conservative counter-revolution to the New Deal really started going. And I think Biden's major um, contribution to that process, because he did help it along by uh, cementing a lot of that counter-revolution in the Democratic Party— um and convincing that party to abandon its previous heritage of populism and and racial egalitarianism that that it had in the 60s um at least outside of the south uh was with bussing so so back in the you know civil rights movement uh desegregation became a big thing and and one of the ways that they uh decided to accomplish that you know you 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 had all black schools all white schools and so they tried to desegregate the schools by using busing. And this became a very loaded term because the way conservatives framed it, like Biden, uh, was that it was forced busing, that you were taking uh, your apple-cheeked white children and sending them into the ghetto with all the dangerous gang members. But really what it was, was you were jumbling up the district boundaries because busing has... Has and always will be a just a tool of moving children around. It's They're-
0: a publicly provided means of transport to the place that your public education is located at.
1: Yeah. And, and if you want to talk about forced busing, the, the literal plaintiff in Brown versus Board of Education was bused like 20 miles away to an all black school when she lived like four blocks away from a white school. You know, so this busing, in that sense, in the sense was that was always taking place. Yeah, it, it was always taking place, and it was taking place in exactly the same kind of unfair way to segregate. Yeah, to, to to carry out Jim Crow. Right. And so they, for for you know maybe maybe seven eight years there, there was a real big push to say, okay. We got to, we got to jumble up our populations so that the black children have access to the same educational resources as white children. That's the objective here. It's not, it's not uh, to just have blacks and whites sort of rubbing shoulders, you know, though that's probably a positive thing, but mainly is to say there are all these black schools that are just, they're just dog shit. You know, they're, they're, they're way underfunding, you know, like 10% of what the whites, white schools are getting on a per student basis. And so we need to reallocate the kids so that you don't have this concentrated mass of, of desperation and, and terrible educational. Well,
0: And also the schools that are being funded well because white kids go there will have the good resources that the the black kids that are now going there will have access to. But conversely the schools that were underfunded because only black students went there will now be funded well. Cause the parents of the white kids will care about those schools. Right. So, yeah. so, so it's like a way of, um, changing the political power and the distribution of, of resources in an equitable way. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. And so by the so,
0: way, I don't, who rubs shoulders? That's a weird activity. What, it's why gonna is, be, that, it's is gonna, that an erotic thing? That's going to come
1: back because we can't shake hands anymore. due gonna, to coronavirus due the, the shoulder rubbing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, could be like That's, a new dance move. Yeah, but we digress. At,
1: at any rate, um, so so Biden basically capitalize. He sees this as a a burgeoning issue among like white conservatives and decides to like capitalize on it. And he called uh he called busing a, a bankrupt concept. He he said in an interview, "quote I think the Democratic Party could stand a liberal George Wallace." Um and he he wrote uh, a number of amendments which banned any federal funding for these type of uh desegregation programs um with uh with support from uh James Eastland, Jesse Helms, Strom Thurmond and uh, James Allen, you know, you're, we're Some talking good old boys. Yeah, the good old boy Dixiecrats um just these these reactionary lizards, you know, who had been in Congress for thousands of years and and we're just absolutely dead set against civil rights
0: but bankrupt use the word bankrupt huh that's yeah, a, that's and, a foreshadowing and this episode. wasn't a thing that he
1: uh, has gotten he got religion on later uh only very recently has he started to back away from these comments in 2007 he wrote a book that got called you know these these bussing programs a uh, a liberal train wreck it, it it was it was just absolutely validating this conservative narrative that what we needed to do was like return to local control of school districts which which is basically just how jim crow worked you know um but you know by having where anywhere where the white people have control of the levers of political power they can just uh violate black people's constitutional rights with impunity and that's what he successfully pushed to do because the bussing Uh, was eventually rolled back and and desegregation stops, and now schools are as segregated as they were basically before uh, any of the civil rights legislation.
0: By the way, back a few months ago when Biden looked like his candidacy was over, uh, that was in no small part because Kamala Harris just destroyed him on the debate stage with regard to his his record on this. Yeah. And funnily enough, he just uh, kind of— Senility inspired, uh, leaked the fact that she's gonna do you see this? That she's gonna endorse him?
1: Oh, yeah, he, he, he accidentally let men- the cat out of the bag. He,
0: he accidentally mentioned her as one of the supporters of endorsers. Uh, oh, so man. yeah, she's she's got tremendous integrity herself, it seems like, but uh, she just, just raked him over the coals for this in the debates.
1: Yeah, she did. Um, and it didn't destroy him immediately, but you know, it was a big blow. She had a big bump in the polls as a result. Um, There is also, let's see, asset forfeiture, right? This was in the seventies.
0: So, asset forfeiture with Rico starts in the seventies, but Biden's role in it doesn't start to the early eighties.
1: Okay, we can probably move to the eighties now. Yeah, yeah. Start start. This is the beginning of war on crime stuff, and and maybe Biden's I think biggest legacy right up there. Probably because this was his pet issue for for decades. In terms
0: of how much he initiated, contributed, and shaped. The Devastating Policies? Yes, I think yeah. so. So, so in, in 83, he comes up with a, a comprehensive forfeiture act, which becomes part of the 84 crime bill, right? Yeah. And this is part of his legacy, not just in terms of what would become mass incarceration, but in terms of him actually leading the way on the war on drugs and trying to be harder on crime, in part to help federal agents, uh, you know, quote-unquote, fight the war on drugs, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, put, a, we'll put a link uh, or, or a clip of Biden giving, a, I think, a response to George H.W. Bush's State of the Union address in 1989, in which he is trying to get to Bush's right on the war on crime, saying George H.W. Bush is being too soft on criminals.
2: The trouble is that the president's proposals are not big enough to deal with the problem his rhetoric isn't matched by the resources we need to get the job done. Quite frankly, the president's plan's not tough enough, bold enough, or imaginative enough to meet the crisis at hand. In a nutshell, the president's plan doesn't include enough police officers to catch the violent thugs, not enough prosecutors to convict them, not enough judges to sentence them, and not enough prison cells to put them away for a long time.
1: And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, one of the bills he wrote, uh, and, and got through Congress was vetoed by Reagan.
0: That's right. No, in fact, he was, uh, so gung ho on fighting crime that he tried to get Reagan. He worked with Strom Thurmond, right? His old buddy, his old buddy, Strom Thurmond, the, the former KKK member, right? (laughs) To, um, To basically spend a ton more money than Reagan was willing to spend fighting crime, if you will, uh, and to create a drug czar. And and Reagan would not sign off on that. And even though it passed in the House and the Senate at, you know, high majorities, uh, Reagan would not go for it. Uh, This was how far to the right Biden was of the Republicans, right, who, yeah. who initiated in many ways the war on crime or the war on drugs and mass incarceration. Yeah. So
1: and asset forfeiture, yeah. just to tie that one up, that that's this thing. I mean, most people know about it now, but it's where, you know, the police can just say they suspect that your property is stolen, is the result of some drug crime or another. And they just take it without any sort of due process or or trial in the courts or anything like that. Yeah. And And so he was, you know, he kind of got that ball rolling. I mean, not just him, but he was one of the major players pushing that policy forward.
0: Basically, they, he thought, look, at this point, there has to be evidence. <laughs> Imagine that. You have to have an indictment or some, some actual evidence of wrongdoing in order to seize assets to take property from human beings and boy, that's inhibiting the war on, on drugs. So wouldn't it be good if you could just lower the the evidentiary standard? And wouldn't it be great if like federal agents, if they just kind of believed that maybe certain goods were uh, part of a drug deal and they kind of believed that the uh, amount of, of the assets they were going to seize was commensurate with the amount that was done in the deal? Uh, well, let's just go seize those assets without any indictments or any actual uh, evidence of wrongdoing
1: yep um another big thing in the 80s i mean you have a number of crime bills you know um as there this is i think when the infamous hundred to one crack cocaine powder cocaine he initiated uh, that yep that was him i think he he actually wrote that part of the bill that, you know during the crack scare and the, the thing to know about this is that crack is just cocaine like all you do, it, it, it's the, the, the easiest and cheapest way to make free base cocaine, cocaine that is not a powder, it's, a, it's an oil. Um, and therefore, you can uh, smoke it um, and get a dose, you know, because if you try to smoke powder cocaine, it will burn. Um, you, can't, you can't take it that way. You have to snort it. But if you turn it into free base um, without the hydrochloride salt, uh, which, you know, which is the sort of chemistry term. Ryan majored in chemistry, folks. You, you can you can smoke it, and then you can make much smaller doses, which can be sold for much cheaper, and that's uh, uh, you know, much more amenable to impoverished populations. And um, you know, all you do is you take some regular cocaine and you just boil it with baking soda to get rid of the hydrochloride salt, and then you have an impure um, uh, free base that when you put a lighter on it, 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 it crackles because it's, you know, because it's not the, 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 you know, it's got all kinds of impurities in there. Um, but it's no different than cocaine really. And you can change one from the one to the other very easily. Um, it's just the fact that crack tended to be used by poor people, especially poor black people. And so they jacked the the, because uh, when, you, when you
0: dilute it, right, you're able to sell more of it, right? Yeah. And so so you can profit off of less of it because of the way that changing the um the kind of composition of it so it can be smoked um makes it cheaper by the actual amount of cocaine, yeah the amount right? yeah the dose yeah the yeah. dose right um so it's more affordable for people with less money,
1: yeah. And around this time, the this the CIA is sort of turning a blind eye to massive co- cocaine shipments coming out of Nicaragua. Well, no, they're
0: they're actually uh, actively right, actively facilitating. facilitating that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, at the very least, turning a blind eye. That that much is known, you know. And and probably these, the you know, it was part of the strategy of funding the con- Contras. We're we're getting a little bit uh, off topic here, but at any rate, you know, it, doubly unfair to be punishing you know this crack epidemic, which was. You know, in a sense, kind of the product of U.S. foreign policy. Yeah, I don't which, think it's
0: unfair to say the Reagan administration uh, is in some way directly responsible for the amount of crack on the streets that um, led to the amount of people in those impoverished populations using it. Yeah, I think that's very yeah, fair. Yeah. Um. So, so he was one who wanted to punish the use of crack cocaine a hundred times more strongly. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The the I think specifically it's just the amount of weight, you know, so so the same sentence could be triggered by five grams of crack. That would have to be 500 grams of cocaine to to be, you know, to get the equivalent treatment in the law. And so there there are a bunch of these pills passed in the 80s and 90s, and Biden was behind pretty much every one of them. Now,
0: in 94, is that when the mandatory minimums came in?
1: Uh, I'm not sure about that. I, I know there was
0: one in 19... 19- 94. We can, we can look this up. Yeah, but but I have no doubt that Biden was involved with the mandatory minimums.
1: But the other thing that that starts coming in the 80s was uh, the Biden's austerity push. You know this this is when you know in the in the 80s this is when Reagan's uh, tax cuts combined with the high interest rates of that area era to really jack up the budget deficit a lot. And so uh, you know there started to be this big push to cut. Uh, you know, social programs to, you know, quote unquote, deal with the deficit. Um, And so Biden starts pushing things, you know, uh, freezing the inflation adjustments to Social Security. He at one point proposed a balanced budget amendment, which is that like that's just insane, way over and above uh, uh, cutting Social Security, which is a horrible idea, Um, Because, you know, this would cause instant financial Armageddon because the United States government would not be able to issue more treasury bonds, which are basically like the bedrock of the entire world financial system. Um, You know, Republicans have proposed this now and then. And it's, uh, uh, you know every economist from the most left wing to the most right wing says like, this is completely insane. You know, you, you can't just mandate Sometimes the government must borrow. Um, but you know, it's all about proving, you know, your toughness and, and this, you know, sort of gives you a window into this still ongoing kind of moderate, whatever you want to call it, um, style of neoliberal politics in which, you know, the, the, wise statesman has to force the American people to drink their tough medicine in order to govern responsibly, because that means pain. That means inflicting pain on on the people.
0: I want to be clear. I don't know how many times we have to, to, to do this, but the idea that a Joe Biden or the neoliberalism that he represents is moderate or centrist is insane because what it is, it's a political choice to inflict tremendous harm and pain on populations of people that redounds to the benefit of the wealthy and powerful. Right. Yeah. And that is an extremely, it's the opposite of a moderate or temperate kind of approach to, (laughs) to, to policy. Right. That is extremely radically harmful. And, uh, and the idea that this is the adult in the room is, is just a a myth and a terrible one. And it's part of why I analogized it to alcohol and cigarettes. This is, this is the normalization of something very harmful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great way of putting it. Um, and you know, again, on the policy merits here, social security, you know, the, the, the only problem with social security is that number one, the payroll tax is capped at, you know, however many, $190,000 or something like that. And so there's a whole bunch of people up at the top end who are not paying hardly anything on their earnings. You know, we've got to get rid of that cap tax, all uh, earnings um, at the same rate, you know, or, I mean, it is effectively a flat tax. Right, you could make it more progressive. Yeah, you could make it progressive and uh, it needs a minimum benefit, you know. Then you could start saying, you know, Social Security is a proper pension system, um, and that's just a question of of uh, you know bumping the revenue up a little bit. It d- doesn't need to really you know you're, you're talking about slight changes to to make it more functional.
0: No, so so uh, what we're saying here is Biden is either stupid on policy or he's malicious. You know, it's a little yeah. unclear and it doesn't even really matter what combination of the two. But uh, so far in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, he's bad on racial justice, you know, in favor of busing, um, spurring on deregulation. He's involved in multiple crime bills and leading to a war on drugs and mass incarceration that's harming all kinds of populations, especially people of color. Uh, And he is, you know, focused on austerity, either because he doesn't understand it or because he doesn't care about the harm that it does.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and then a, f- a further point on on Medicare specifically, you know, Biden's proposed a lot of Medicare cuts over the years. We we got to stop this spending, we can't afford it, which is nonsense. But the Medicare argument is particularly noxious because um you know there there is a you know a projection that that says if you just go back and you know and you say, well, here's the growth of Medicare spending and it's going to keep going up and, and Medicaid too. And so, you know, we got to do something about these programs, or they're eventually just going to consume the entire federal budget because you you know you can't just have like five percent increases year on year on year. But the problem with that is not the generosity of the benefits, the problem is the prices. The prices just keep going through the roof. Um, you know, and so Cutting away at it, it, raising the eligibility age or whatever, making people pay more copays and so on. It's is,
0: not, a dri- not addressing the driver of the no, problem. It's yeah.
1: completely pointless because, you know, you just keep pro- progressing further and eventually a single tablet of aspirin is going, to consume, is going to cost you $500 trillion.
0: You know, Ryan, it's almost as if you're saying the uh, fluctuations of the market shouldn't determine the price of things. It's almost as if <laughs> you need to fix prices in some way that's controlled by the government.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, th- this is your Medicare problem. Medicare, you know, it's, it's embedded in this, uh, this horribly dysfunctional healthcare payment system that, uh, is, it, it's just, the cost is spiraling out of control. That is definitely true. But, and it, but it's not only true in Medicare and Medicaid, it's true in the private sector, even more so in the, em- in the employer, uh, provided health insurance. And so, the easiest way to tackle the cost problem would be to put everyone on Medicare. Then you have the greatest possible leverage over prices, and you can just dictate what the going rate's going to be.
0: What Are you saying, wait, Ryan, are you saying we could give Medicare for all? <laughs> is that what you're implying? Is that-
1: yeah, we're getting off track again. But again, th- this is <laughs> indicative yeah. of the, the approach. utter lack of a uh, sensible policy behind this sort of pose of being a responsible, you know, fucking statesman. It, it, it like the, the utterly obvious uh, errors of analysis that that he
0: pushes for 30 years because it benefits and we'll get to this later. It benefits certain industries and certain lobbies and certain donors. Yeah. Right. To yeah. to mimic this kind of nonsense about austerity. Right. Yes, and there's it a, does. a there's a reason we'll get to this again, that when when Biden did so well on Super Tuesday, that immediately healthcare stocks went up. Yep. So. Yeah. But yeah, you have so you have busing deregulation, austerity uh c- cuts to medicare um cuts to medicaid you have the crime bill and you have of course his inability to stand up for anita hill when clarence thomas was yeah. nominated in the 90s and early 90s yeah
1: 1991 i believe uh you you have the clarence the clarence thomas uh nomination he's i think maybe the most consistently right wing um you know, you can go back and listen to our Corey Robin episode on this. Uh, wrote a
0: but, b- brilliant book on, uh, on Clarence Thomas, The Enigma of Clarence Thomas. Yeah. Just, so you should read the book, but also listen to the
1: episode. A dyed-in-the-wool reactionary, and Anita Hill uh, accused him of sexual harassment. And Biden just bungled these hearings horribly. He was the chairman of the Senate... Uh, Judiciary Committee, I believe, that did these hearings. That's right, and um, just totally, you know, not only uh, sort of condescended at her, you know, treated her as a hostile witness, um, but also reportedly did not allow uh two other accusers to testify, and you know, is it, it was like a, a early flickering of the sort of Me Too, um, you know. Th- movement you might say and one of the reasons why you know so many women over the years have decided like fuck it I'm not going to say anything look at what happens that's right Biden and, comes and, after and you and
0: this is a nominee by George H W Bush so so this is someone who's nominated on the other side of the aisle just uh, um, yeah. imagine if he's treating somebody in the oppositional party this way uh, he won 't back up the rights of women uh, right and, and it 's just uh, an incredible indictment of his character to uh to not even line up with his own politics in a way that would be fa- like it would have been favorable for him to defend someone who was basically making allegations against the opposition party 's nominee um but you know forget doing the right thing he was standing against justice in order to you know make nice with the opposition party
1: yeah well for whatever reason you know he he, he did not he did not con- conduct a thorough airing it could be or, blindness
0: you know yeah. could, it, but but like at that point again does it matter if it's malice you know if it's conscious or or if it's just the fact that he can't see injustice because of his his privilege because of his blindness
1: yeah and back then you know politics was not nearly so polarized and um uh uh, what's his name? Thomas only got in by a couple votes. It was very close. And if Biden had done a real prosecutorial, you know, kind of inquisition or or whatever into these charges, uh, I think it's a a t- totally fair supposition that Thomas probably would not be on the court right now, right? And be somebody else. So that's the that's the beginning of the 90s you you mentioned deregulation we haven't actually gone into deregulation that much but i think the big uh you know biden's been a big corporate shill you know
0: he's from delaware right yeah and so that there's a a reason that delaware is the place that so many people decide to incorporate right they're corporations uh it is super friendly to corporations super friendly to banks super friendly to credit card companies it's just it's a a dream for the finance industry and for business big business generally
1: yeah I'm, i and biden is uh not as friendly to to banks in most of his career as like the new york senators because the new york uh you know the the banks are still located most of them in new york you know you don't have you know, what, what Delaware does is basically let, you know, you can use our sovereignty as a sort of flag of convenience and set up a post office box and, and register shell cor- companies. Yeah. Um, but you know, he, he was a big friend of the credit card companies, but nevertheless, um, in, uh, I think 1994 and again in two thousand, two big financial deregulations, um, pass biden voted for both of them you know they passed by big margins uh but you know this was the the stuff that basically set the stage for 2008
0: 2008.
1: that's right um and you know but
0: wait there's more (laughs) so so you know i I don't know if if you're ready to get on to the 2005 bankruptcy bill well
1: before yeah before we do that you know uh Biden's still doing austerity, still doing war and crime stuff in the 90s. But he he also voted for all the free trade stuff, NAFTA and CAFTA, um, you know, these these things which uh, really, you know, again, with NAFTA um, required, you know, a a significant chunk of the Democratic Party to go along with it to pass because, you know, it was not popular. Um, Ross Perot. You know, he 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 uh, he made the biggest you know third party challenge in presidential history. In Ninety two, yeah. It was all about uh, free trade, and what he said about um, NAFTA, despite being a bit of a kook, was completely correct that it would be a bad deal both for the United States and Mexico. Um, that that you know you would sort of trap Mexico into this low wage equilibrium, you know Perot didn't emphasize that so much, but a lot of lefty economists did, um, and that it would it would just kill millions of jobs in the United States, and that's exactly what happened.
0: And let's be clear, uh, let me be clear, let me be clear. Sorry, that was an Obama yeah. impression. I don't know that part of why Trump was able to defeat Hillary Clinton in the in the steel belt rust belt. Was because of her record as a neoliberal uh, and her yep. husband's record as president on these trade deals. And, and, yeah. and Biden is just as bad and just as culpable.
1: Yeah. Oh, and also permanent normal trade relations with China in 2000. And that's the big one. That's the really big one. NAFTA was there. Thousands
0: bad. of factories get shut down.
1: Yeah. And that's when the trade deficit with China completely explodes. And, uh, you know, Biden was there on that one too. Um, but yeah, into the 2000s. So.
0: Oh, you know what? We've got the Iraq war coming up here.
1: Yeah. We voted for the Patriot Act, of course. Oh, yes, of course. Voted for uh the war in Afghanistan. Even Bernie voted for that one, so I guess we can't hit him too hard. But he for voted which, for which one? Uh war in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, so so
0: only one Congressperson did not do that? Yeah. And 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 Bernie has owned up to to that mistake.
1: That's true, yeah. He said that was the wrong vote, and he was right about that. Um but the Iraq war is the big one. Um and and he not o- not only voted for that, you know, he is is currently claiming that he just immediately turned against it. That's a lie. He was to, he defended it. We'll stick the clip in in a speech at the uh, Brookings Institution in like July uh, 2003. Said it was the right decision. He'd he'd make the same vote again to vote to go to war in uh, I believe it was October 2002, somewhere in there, late 2002, uh, the authorization to use military force.
2: Some of my own party have said that it was a mistake to go to Iraq in the first place and believe that it's not worth the cost, whatever benefit may flow from our engagement in Iraq. But the cost of not acting against Saddam, I think, would have been much greater. And so is the cost, and so will be the cost, of not finishing this job. The President of the United States is a bold leader and he is popular the stakes are high and the need for leadership is great i wish he'd use some of his stored-up popularity to make what i admit is not a very popular case but i and many others will support him when he makes the case
1: um and that was you know the 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 i would say the biggest uh bonehead move in the history of american but the most purely stupid Uh, move in American. An an
0: unforced error that there was no actual reason to even countenance that cost hundreds and thousands of lives, including civilians and trillions of dollars. So blood and treasure beyond, um, almost beyond imagination. It's hard to even conceptualize.
1: Yep. And he was right there on that one. Um, But the, the, the other big, you know, you, you previewed it, but the the other big thing that Biden finally got through he'd been pushing it for years in 2005 he got the bankruptcy bill passed and this basically was you know it's part and parcel of the whole social security shtick that like up oh, the american people are too soft they're getting too many luxurious benefits they're abusing the bankruptcy system
0: it's so reactionary this like there there is so many there are so many policies that show how much he actually hates working people and um, gives all kinds of privileges to the wealthy and the powerful, but punishes the working class and the poor and people that are marginalized. And this is just another instance. By the way, if you have student debt, you can't discharge that in bankruptcy because of Biden and because of this 2005 bankruptcy bill.
1: Yeah, just about impossible to get rid of that. And for everyone else, you know, uh, the, the bankruptcy bill Im- imposes stiff means tests on, uh, I believe it's Chapter 7 bankruptcy. That's right. Which is the the normal, you know, the the kind that's actually... Wipes the,
0: the slate clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: the, the actual bankruptcy plan. You know, you can't make so much money. You can't have so much in assets. You know, it's you got to be like pretty far down the uh, income ladder to be able to do this. And uh, it creates a lot of incentives to push people into Chapter 13, I think. That's right, to reorganize. Yeah, yeah which That's is right. not real bankruptcy. It's no. just like a refinancing uh, sort of thing where you keep on paying and you don't actually get rid of any of your debt. That's right. Um,
0: we have an episode we can link to with yeah. Emma Catterin on this.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the the whole theory of it was, was that, um, you know, people were taking advantage of this, you know. And when you go into the statistics and you look at it, uh, that was complete bullshit. It was, it was just not at all the case. You know, there, there, even before that, there were uh, enormous uh, incentives against, you know, declaring bankruptcy. People would do it, um, you know, only as a last resort, except in the case of rich people mm-hmm. who can use, I believe, it's Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And Donald Trump did, did this a number of times. And these are the people, you know, if you have lots of money, you actually can abuse the bankruptcy process to, you know, if you, if you have a failing business or something, you can loot out all the assets into a protected account, declare bankruptcy, Look, get rid of all the debt. I, I
0: don't want to make this too obvious and too simple, but there is a consistent theme here that the weak and marginalized get punished, the rich and powerful get helped. So in yep. terms of mass incarceration, the war on drugs and, and crime... You have marginalized populations getting punished and harmed. Uh, you have cocaine, which is usually done by white people with with means and with wealth, not being punished right at one one hundredth of the of the the sentencing that crack cocaine is being punished. You have uh, the Iraq war, which is sending you know people of color and people that are poor uh, to throw. Their bodies on the line, so that oil companies can benefit. And indeed, during the Obama administration, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Uh, Biden actually uh, worked with, um, you know, the Iraqi Prime Minister Maliki in order to allow oil companies to benefit from the oil in Iraq and not have to pay as steep a price. So, so literally, the blood and treasure that is spent at the um, you know, expense of the marginalized, the working class, the poor is like symmetrically, you know is, is 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 in parallel with the benefit that redounds to the rich and powerful. And the same thing holds true with the bankruptcy bill. The same thing holds true with all of the different areas where he is buddying up with the conservatives,
1: yep. Um, and this probably gets us to two thousand and eight. you know we're we're leaving quite a lot of stuff out, you know, in the interest of time. But, uh, you know, 2008, um, Obama picks Biden as his, you know, basically token white guy, token conservative white Democrat to sort of balance the ticket and reassure, you know, sort of Rust Belt, sort of Reagan Democrats or whatever, you know, that that he's not a, you know, secret Muslim radical. And, um, you know, as part of that deal, Biden Biden said that he wanted to be sort of, you know, a top member of the administration and Obama agreed to that, and and I believe held held to it. And you know, Biden was in the room um, for all you know all the key decisions. He uh, oversaw the stimulus package. Um, and you know his his uh, sort of team was uh, you know, a big part of designing and implementing that thing. And uh, you know, so he is party too, you know, though he you know, he wasn't ultimately responsible, of course, because it was Obama at the top. But he was party to all of the worst decisions of the Obama administration, often in a very direct way.
0: Which you went into great detail. Um, we can link to that episode too that you did recently, Ryan. Um, but if you <laughs> want to just briefly mention what some of those terrible mistakes that again redounded to to harm those that were not so well off, uh, you know, specifically with in terms of the 2008 crisis, perhaps, and and the amount of money they had that where they could have helped people with mortgages, right? Just to
1: re-summarize, I guess um, the bailouts gave Obama and his team tremendous leverage over the financial system, and they chose to basically just reinstate the status quo as best they could and help the banks. Yeah, and this is sort of part and parcel with Biden's whole, you know, don't upset the apple cart when it comes to the rich and powerful. Uh, you see, politics. Ryan,
0: you don't want to pit Main Street against Wall Street. Is the line?
1: Yeah, that yeah, that's something he said many times. Which
0: really means you just give Wall Street whatever they want, and that's
1: exactly what happened with the homeowner uh, assistance program, HAMP, Home Assistance Mortgage Program, um, which basically just turned into a backdoor bailout for the banks. And one reason was that, you know, according to you know administration insiders, you know, economist Austin Goolsbee thought there was about seven hundred fifty billion dollars of negative equity which is to say, you know, homes, mortgage debt, uh, which is greater than the value of, of the homes, you know, after the bubble collapse. And, They're underwater, yeah. Yeah, underwater in their mortgages. Um, uh, Christy Romer thought it was about a trillion dollars. And, you know, so the logic was, well, the banks can't eat that loss and we can't give them a trillion dollars in subsidies. And so, therefore, the homeowners are just going to have to eat it. And that's exactly what happened. About 10 million people were foreclosed on <laughs> and untold millions more just yeah. had to keep paying on these inflated mortgages. Just a direct transfer of wealth from uh, homeowners to the yeah. banks who had yeah. these worthless subprime assets. I just, I
0: just want to be clear here that this is your typical uh, socializing the risk and privatizing the profit and socializing the cost, but privatizing the profit. Th- this is one of many situations where, you know, the overall economy GDP would not necessarily be helped by what's being done, but the interests of the banks will be helped, right? In the same way that like Biden set up through the bankruptcy bill of 2005, a situation where student debt would be unable to be kind of uh, cleaned out in bankruptcy. Whereas Bernie Sanders wants to wipe out all student debt in the same way that the Obama administration could have wiped out or, or in, allowed for judges to write down, right, the amount of, of uh, money owed on those mortgages without—I mean, Congress had nothing to do with it at that point. It was totaled at the discretion of the, the executive.
1: Well, not quite. They, Almost, they, right? they would have had to pass uh, a, a bill through Congress that had a, what you call cram down, which would—this which would, right. actually predates the uh, bankruptcy reform bill, I believe— but the, but according to you know bankruptcy law now you are not in a bankruptcy proceeding you are not allowed to write off mortgage debt on a primary residence even though you can do that on any other possession you have that has a mortgage on it but like with a car
0: but with hamp what would what would they have to do with hamp
1: hamp you could have done so that would have that's been different directly you could have said um, you know we're going to reduce the principal yeah yeah we're going to you know and that that's the most effective way to just to say like right. okay your home's underwater we're just going to take you through a program, and we're going to write off yep. the outstanding. We're going to put you at at an even keel. That's what I meant. Yeah. 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 So, but the cram down thing that would be to say in bankruptcy court. No. No. Yeah. You could, So this is another another betrayal though, right. because yep. Obama promised House Democrats that he was going to do this. He was going to support cram down, and they were they tried multiple times to fold it into you know big spending packages because it's just a small change to the to the uh, code. bankruptcy code. That's right. Um, but he. On the advice of, you right. know, Larry Summers and Tim Geithner, right. again, who Biden yeah. supported, uh,
0: bringing as- them into the administration. Exactly. No, no, yeah. So, so the the distinction there is like. The cram down would be just a general change in the in the bankruptcy code, such a, like just generally, not in a two thousand eight crisis, yeah, like acute, anybody. right? Just like generally, anybody should be able to do this, and the court should permit this to happen, and that is a good thing that he said he would do and didn't do
1: because it would hurt the bank. right? Because right. it would have the probably billions of people would have been like, well, I'm just going to declare bankruptcy and write off hundred thousand in mortgage debt and just have a clean slate. But then you have all these assets that, the, that uh, all the mortgages are tied up in. They'd have to eat the loss. Yep, that. they would.
0: No, but so then separately, HAMP, uh, you know, after the crisis, after Congress gave the authority for the executive to, to do what yeah. they would. Yeah, they, anything. Specifically right.
1: authorized principal reductions and unspecified appropriation. Exactly.
0: Then they didn't use that discretion in a way that could have relieved all, all the debt and all the problems for, for yeah. these homeowners, right?
1: Yeah. And the, the, the thing was a total clusterfuck. And, and again, to, to emphasize again, like the financial stability is a real problem, but what you needed to do was to deal with it at the beginning. You needed to say, all these banks have this shitload of terrible, terrible debt, toxic, toxic, worthless assets that were full of, you know, just absolute garbage. Take care of that. Get rid of it. Um, and that probably would have involved the Fed buying a lot of the big Wall Street players like they did uh, AIG, because are like, well, you're insolvent. We're just going to buy you so the whole global financial system doesn't collapse. And then we're going to, you know, wind down all this garbage, put you back on, you know, or just keep it. You know, they could do that, too. But, but just, you know because they were so wedded to this status quo, oh, we can't be socialists and nationalize the banks. Instead, they had to just keep shoving money into them. And
0: And, uh, let me be clear. No, no, I really do want to be clear about this. Because Biden, Obama, and the neoliberals that preceded Obama and that Biden was part and parcel with uh, deregulated, right? Like Glass-Steagall, they were involved in precipitating that rise of, of toxic, assets, right? Like they, they, they basically not the people, but the oligarchs and the companies who are profiting off of people were the cause of this global economic crisis. And then after these assholes caused all this pain and suffering globally and domestically, the government could have acted in a way to help the people who suffered at the like consequence of the actions of the politicians and the oligarchs and the banks, but instead sought to relieve the bank's Instead, right. And, and so they could have done otherwise, they, they could have not just prevented the harm done to people in terms of the crisis that resulted from their actions, but also then served the people and preventing or inoculating them from kind of the consequences of those mistakes. Instead, they didn't give a shit. And so I just want to be clear that like, so many harms that have been done over the years are both caused by and then consciously not dealt with, um, you know, by these politicians that Biden embodies.
1: Yeah. One more note here, uh, on, on the early Obama years, you know, Biden oversaw the stimulus and, you know, his style of thinking about, you know, economic policy is all over the stimulus and the, and the problem with the stimulus, which is that it was too small. It was probably less than half the size it needed to be. And, um, This is because the administration was totally neurotic about overshooting, about saying, oh, we can't, it can't be too big, you know? And there are questions about, you know, what you could have got through Congress and so on. But, you know, as I said in that episode, there were a number of proposals that would not have increased the headline cost, but would have increased the stimulus. You know, there's a lot of tricks you could do, um... You could, you know, have a bunch of spending and then have tax increases that only kick in after five years, and so that, according to the Congressional Budget Office, ten-year window, uh, is is neutral. Um, or you could have a loan program which allows ten dollars of loans for every one dollar in appropriation. Again, according to the scoring rules, they didn't do that either. Um, and it was, you know, the, this this uh, sort of the neoliberal, you know, Biden style uh freaking out, you know, about spending. And and when he was overseeing it, you know, they, they call him like the sheriff or something like that, because he was absolutely fixated on getting wringing every penny out of this stimulus, trying to get absolute maximum bang for the buck. And that is completely backwards um, when you're talking about filling the hole, you know, of a giant recession. You just want to fling money out the door as fast as you can. Because if you don't uh, fix the problem in time, then you have this the recession keeps going on. and that, if you don't you know get the you know, if you don't fix the the crisis, then the waste of resources in terms of the you know potential, you know output continuing to be well below capacity is way you know orders of magnitude larger than any sort of money you would save on you know ten cents on a length of pipe or whatever
0: and I just want to be clear here again that the idea in kind of neoliberal economics that you care about the the wealth of the nation to to reference adam smith and you you don't you're not as concerned with the distribution who gets what, but you want to grow the overall g d p right. That is not being done by these assholes, right? Like even the fact that so today, um, front of the pod, Marshall Steinbaum is one of the main contributors to a study that shows if you canceled all student debt, that would be actually a boon to the, to the economy. The GDP would, would go up actually. Um, that is not something on offer except for Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren when she was in the race, because despite the fact that it'd be good for the economy, It rewards the wrong people. It helps the wrong people. And and in the same way that the debt and the deficits created by unlimited spending for war, whether it's the Iraq war or the seven different countries that were bombing with drones, right? (laughs) None of that factors into this, you know, austerity equation. So there's this total asymmetry. Right, where you can spend as much as you want, you can spend trillions of dollars on war, and that doesn't go into kind of the moral responsibility equation. On the other hand, if canceling debt for uh, students is something that helps the economy, well, fuck that because you're helping the wrong people.
1: Yeah. And so let's wrap up the the uh, Obama uh, White House with uh, Ob- uh, Biden's service as a negotiator with Mitch McConnell during uh, various... Um, Hostage crises, crises that um, McConnell uh, and House Republicans instigated um, over, you know, ending the so-called fiscal cliff. If you remember that, um, basically, the you know this negotiation over, uh, cha- you know, stopping these looming tax increases on the rich and and uh, cuts to unemployment insurance. Oh,
0: and by tax increase, we mean we mean ending tax cuts. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right, uh, the the Bush tax cuts were going to sunset, and uh, you know, so so Republicans wanted to get rid of that. And then there was the uh, the the debt ceiling crisis that uh, Obama tried to get a grand bargain with Republicans in which he was going to cut Social Security and Medicare by like eight hundred billion dollars.
0: By the way, a crisis which is totally manufactured because there's no reason we need to have debt ceilings, like. This is something that just we create by choice as a government?
1: Yeah, it's a total—it's a just an accident of policy, basically. Um, but there's a there's an article by uh, Bronco uh, Marsetic in the in Jacobin that—I'm going to just read a couple of segments here about these negotiations. At the beginning, um, he writes, uh, Biden's continuing faith in principles that his adversaries had long— Abandoned and his willingness to give it all away at the negotiating table made him the go-to contact for every one of McConnell's future fiscal hostage scenarios. The inability of Biden and the administration to effectively push back would, would mean disaster, first in working Americans' pocketbooks and then at the ballot box.
0: Biden essentially talks to McConnell and in the midst of Harry Reid trying to play hardball with McConnell, right? And uh, refusing McConnell's hostage taking, Biden essentially tells McConnell, don't worry about it. And he calls a number of Democrats in Congress to essentially persuade them to not back Harry Reid and to capitulate to McConnell.
1: In December 2010, a government shutdown loomed while both the Bush tax cuts for the wealthy and unemployment insurance looked set to expire. With McConnell happy to hold hostage the nearly 15 million jobless Americans about to lose their government lifeline, Biden personally called him to make a deal. That deal ended up so lopsided that it outraged Democrats across the political spectrum. In exchange for keeping unemployment insurance alive for another 13 months, extending an education tax credit for two more years, and an 11th hour stimulus of payroll tax cuts, Biden gave McConnell not just two more years of high income tax cuts, but a lower estate tax with a higher exemption, new tax write-offs for businesses, and a maximum 15% capital, tax, <clears throat> capital gains tax rate locked in for two years. At one point, Biden's team had even considered dropping the poorest Americans from the Obama stimulus payments of $400 a year, reversing course at the objections of a Treasury economist who called the idea immoral. So that was the first, the first instance here. And the second one, you know, about the, the, uh, you know, this grand bargain we're referencing.
0: And we'll get into this more, but there is a danger in the idea that Biden is uh, more likely to unite the country by facilitating bipartisan agreements, right? Yeah. Because the results of the bipartisan agreements achieved by a Biden historically and in the future are essentially capitulations to the reactionary right. Whether by incompetence, malfeasance, or uh, malice, or just betrayal of principle, Biden has a record of working with Republicans to basically enact conservative and reactionary policies.
1: Yeah, so here's Marcetic on the uh, grand bargain negotiations. Uh, in 2011, with the looming debt ceiling this time as a bargaining chip for a GOP militantly opposed to any tax hikes, Biden once more sat at the negotiating table. As his opening bid, Biden offered cutting $4 trillion in spending over 10 years, with a three-to-one proportion of cuts to new revenue, before later proposing $2 trillion in cuts to general spending, federal retirement funds, Medicare and Medicaid, and, at the GOP's urging, food stamps. To put this in perspective, the post-9-11 wars that Biden had backed would total $6.4 trillion by 2020. At one point, to the confusion and horror of a fellow Democratic negotiator, Maryland Representative Chris Van Hollen, he suddenly called for $200 billion more in cuts that had never even been discussed. And so the only reason that didn't happen was because the Freedom Caucus would not support even that slanted of a compromise. Right. They they uh, they said no tax increases at all, and so the whole thing just blew up, and it ended up being a just sort of status quo. Um,
0: so, but this this gives lie to the idea that it's better to get something passed than nothing passed.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we've spoken before about uh, bipartisan compromise, and uh, you know. The, the method of bipartisan compromise that somebody like Bernie Sanders does is you just, you know, you look for areas of commonality, like with the Yemen vote, you know, to just say like, hey, we agree on this one little thing. Let's do something about that. But that
0: was tremendous, the Yemen vote. Yeah, no, it was. How many votes do you get to end war? Very few. Very few.
1: Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you're talking about Republicans wanting to cut food stamps, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security and unemployment insurance and all this other stuff. Well, then you just fight them.
0: You're functioning as a, as a Republican otherwise.
1: Yeah. You, you make them do that. And if they, if they, if they can, you know, and then if, if you're ever in a chance to beat them, well, then you take it back. You know, you, you don't just give them half of what the, the shitty thing that they want just because you want to do compromise for its own sake.
0: And, and to be clear, I don't think Biden's dumb in these instances. I think that he's getting... He's conservative. Yes. He well, agrees he, with Republicans. He agrees with them insofar as he's helping his, his banking buddies. Like, he's helping the donor class of the Democrats, you know, at the expense of people generally who are harmed by that compromise.
1: So the as we transition into present day, I think just a, a quick comment on biden's current platform which it which is like across the board like sort of okay for the most part you know he supports a lot of decent stuff um you know uh, rolling back war on drugs let the states legalize marijuana if they want you know that it's it's not as good as bernie's or warren's platform but like it's far to the left he's been
0: pushed to the left because of bernie and warren
1: or at least they sense that's what's popular now,
0: you know? Yeah, who knows what he'd actually do in, in office.
1: Yeah. Um, but but a couple of things I think are worth noting. His climate plan is not, not good. I think he got a D plus from Greenpeace. Uh, maybe like a D from the uh, Sunshine Movement. <laughs> I
0: think I saw an F minus, which, by the yeah. way, I'm a professor. I don't think that grade exists. <laughs> I think F, and you fail, you fail. You don't need to fail minus. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I think... I think that's right. So so did did you dig into why his climate plan is so bad?
1: I think it just it, the the scale of it is much smaller. You know, he he uh he doesn't want to stop all drilling on federal lands uh just on on uh you know wilderness areas and so on. Um
0: But I don't how's that possible with someone as bold as to say, quote, "No one's standard of living will change." <laughs> I <laughs> That's, that's that's a Biden quote yeah. in, in this in this uh, so so that's the beautiful thing is his his ability to assuage the donor class. No one's standard of living will change, and that's beautiful because it tells the rich, "Don't worry, you'll still be as rich and powerful," and it tells everyone else, "Don't worry, you'll remain as fucked."
1: Yeah, um, the uh, you know regardless of details, his climate plan is patently inadequate to the scale of the problem. He's not going to ban fracking. He thinks natural gas is a bridge fuel. Um, but his healthcare plan is also shit. Uh, you know, he wants to build on the Affordable Care Act, um, and in some, some somewhat like some decent ways, he wants to increase the the subsidies and um, you know uh, kick up the Medicaid expansion a little bit. But folks,
0: he is not for Medicare for all. There are people voting for Biden that think he is for Medicare for all. Folks, no, he is not.
1: No, um, but I think. More importantly, John Walker has a great piece on this in the Intercept. We'll link to it. The Affordable Care Act has a lot of technical defects that Biden evinces no understanding or, or recognition of. Uh, for example, you know the 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 uh, way that um, the Affordable Care Act allows you allows insurance companies to give different plans to different age groups, and so. Depending on your level of health, the best uh, uh, buy for you can vary a lot depending, you know, on your your status and your uh, age. So if you are an uh, uh, young person with a lot of uh, health problems, the like platinum plan is the best for you. But if you're an old person with a lot of health problems, the bronze plan is better for you. Um, because of like complicated technical dif- differences in the way that like the sort of subsidies are calculated and so on um and on the exchanges the the level of subsidy is is uh dictated by the price of the second cheapest silver plan on the market and so in in a sort of Obamacare regions where there is only one insurer, they'll put a dummy silver plan on that's much more expensive than the uh, second cheapest one and uh, give their population a big old subsidy, basically, because that's how the calculation like works out. But in blue states, where they've made active efforts to try to push as many insurers into the marketplace as possible, well, then the uh, margins get competed down and there's basically no difference between the... Uh, che- the cheapest and the uh, second cheapest silver plan. And so the premiums are much higher. And there, there are a number of other like weird technical things that blue states seem to have no idea that, that are happening and are just leaving money on the table and leaving their populations uh, uninsured um, because the fucking law is so complicated and dysfunctional.
0: Right. It seems like it'd be better to make it simple just to give Medicare for everyone. I don't know.
1: Yeah, this is the thing, you know, the the American government is clearly like one of the more incompetent ones. And yet we force it to do these incredibly (laughs) difficult. Intricate. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, we we overcomplicate things, right? We can't do just very simple, obvious things and instead try to manage these technocratic boondoggle kind of approaches to things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the liberal Democrats, the, the the conservative Democrats like Biden, they can't design policy worth a shit. You know, they, they make out like they're the wonk kings of all humanity. They don't know what they're doing. And it's much, much more sensible and, dare I say, technocratically efficient to just have— a universal program where everybody's in it the rules are very straightforward and there isn't ten thousand pages of bureaucracy now, to be
0: fair to to be fair to biden because you said he couldn't recognize the problem with that well it seems like he can't recognize the difference between his wife and his sister <laughs> so that's i think it's only fair to say that he's not good at, at recognition
1: yeah and this may be transitioning to current day now um and the Biden campaign and, and the, the electability case against Biden. Um, because this seems to be the reason that people support him, yeah. shaped
0: by the media narrative.
1: Yeah, this this is why, uh, you know, d- Democrats, by all indication, you know, they weren't selling what... what They weren't buying what Biden was selling in 2008, 12 years ago. He came in third in Iowa. He got like 1% of the vote and dropped out. Um, it's just fear now. They think that there's been a narrative implanted that Biden's the most electable, Bernie is not, therefore we must go with Biden. Um you you almost hate to to, to even talk about this because who the fuck knows, you know? Um but like everyone has pundit brain um and you know you you, you we got to get over this hump at least to 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 talk about weaknesses and strengths. So, well I wouldn't say that Biden's guaranteed loser. Nobody knows. There are certain things you can point to which certainly will matter in a campaign. And while Biden maybe could win, you know, maybe coronavirus will cause a huge recession and Trump will just be turfed out regardless of of who is running against him. In which
0: case vote for the vote for the better platform that will help people anyway. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we digress.
1: Yeah, yeah. Throwing away a gimme election on an absolutely dog shit candidate. Wouldn't that be the most Democratic thing ever? (laughs) But um, media clearly matters a lot in this election. You know, Trump got shitloads of free media in 2016. Um, The media just constantly harassed Hillary Clinton about her emails. That was a single biggest covered story of the entire campaign. Um, created this aura of corruption around her. There's going to be a lot of, you know, coverage and argument happening around Trump's specific weaknesses and, uh, you know, Biden's specific weaknesses, and then and then conversely, the strengths of the two candidates. And what Biden does is he harms the the Democratic case against Trump in every single area.
0: He has all of Hillary Clinton's faults with none of her strengths.
1: Yeah. he none has of Hillary Clinton's manifold virtues. He
0: has, he has all. Uh, so he has the corruption scandal, right? So it's not yep. her emails, but it's Hunter Biden.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so, yeah, that I mean, right out of the gate, you know, uh, right now, Bernie is getting, you know, dogpiled by the media um, because the media hates leftists. The media worships power. There was an article in the New York Times that was trying to whip up this uh, a f- a frenzy over this completely anodyne, you know, sister cities project between Burlington in 1988 and, and a city in the Soviet Union. I forget the name. Um, and that, you know, that's just this, the type of thing that, that they're doing now because that's, you know, the ideology of the mainstream press. But you are fooling yourself if you don't think they're going to not turn and do the same thing to Biden If he's a nominee, they're going to do a quadrillion stories on Burisma and Ukraine and uh, Joe Biden's son and his brother and all the influence peddling they've done. Which
0: we should show the clip. He's terrible at answering questions about his son because he's just an asshole who is indignant when anyone says anything negative about him at all
2: yeah and well, just
0: he's just besides his his senile brain he's just so incapable of responding to actual criticism so
2: that's your son over there you Get did a job and work for a gas company that he had no experience with gas or nothing in order to get access for the public for the president so you're you're selling access to the president just like he does so you a damn liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that? No one yeah, I hear heard that? Media. I see no. it on the TV. You see it, it on the like TV. No, I know you do. And by the way, that's why I, I'm not sedentary. I don't. I get up and let him go. Let him go. Look, the reason I'm running is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people now. And I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on it. Let's do push-ups together, man. Let's do. Let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do.
1: Yeah, there was the, uh, the immigrant rights activist who asked him about Obama's mass deportation record. God, we didn't even get into that. Uh, but um, Biden said you should vote for Trump. In response to this, you know, what you know, what do you have to say about this? Uh, this. Awful thing you Same thing. He,
0: he, there was like a was it like a Jay Inslee supporter or something or, or Tom Steyer support? I forget. Somebody who's really concerned with climate change. Uh, another person he told, "Well, go vote for Trump." You know? Yeah.
1: And so, so um, on the corruption question, uh, you've just totally sandbagged the narrative against Trump, right? Uh, be, because critically, you know, I mean, the the Republicans will try to do this to anybody
0: hypocrisy but, argument right
1: yeah i mean well they you know they'll try to they try to gin up a case about bernie you know and like like jane sanders screwing up that college but like the thing the thing about hunter biden is that shit in ukraine was corrupt and yes it was influence peddling there is no way a guy who doesn't speak ukrainian doesn't know anything about ukraine recently washed out of the Navy reserve for failing a cocaine test. Look,
0: the reason that Trump can differentiate himself is because he can say, look, at least I'm being honest about my stuff, right? <laughs> like,
1: like, yeah, I'm picking your pocket.
0: Yeah. He, you know, he, he's, he's calling everyone else out for pretending to be genuine to pretending to care. Whereas really he's the authentic one. And like, there's a sense in which that's not wrong when it comes to the Bidens of the world. Trump yeah. is transparent about his fucking corruption, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. And well, and you know, his, his base won't believe it anyway. Um, but you know, it jams up the narrative and then Democrats are on the back foot. They're trying to say, well, what Hunter Biden did wasn't as bad as what Jared Kushner did. But that's true. But it's such a, le- it's, it's just not a clean argument to make. And it,
0: it makes you feel like they're equivalent. And then you might as well go for the renegade, which is Trump, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and the you know the media is going to be all over this because it it again it is genuinely skeezy to have your fail son idiot sit on the board drop out yeah getting fifty thousand dollars a month to for just, what for, for what for a, a no show job where you are not doing anything and except, he knows
0: nothing about anything to do with the work so
1: no he is not a, a geologist <laughs> he does not know about you know Ukrainian gas formations um, then you know secondly. Uh, woman you know me too stuff uh
0: he could be the groper in chief you know he 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 matches matches trump grope for grope i think he he beats (laughs) trump and sniff for sniff i think he he sniffs more hair than trump does it's
1: the same story again you know a number of women have come come forward saying that that biden did stuff that made them feel uncomfortable nobody's ever said he raped them that you know as uh at least one for Trump pr- yeah. person has pu- yeah, yeah. publicly written mm-hmm. that that Trump raped them, and and you know that's a big you know argument you could make, but now you've got this guy. Who, there there's compilations of uh, on YouTube of him being really creepy, and like again, it's not what Biden has done. It, it, it's not any. New, even in the same ballpark as what trump has done you know the, there's all the dozens of women who have accused trump of sexual harassment or rape and um you know biden it, it's just being creepy around women but again you know it jams up the narrative biden, now
0: biden is a guy who touches and sniffs the hair of women without their consent ritually yeah and
1: a candidate for lieutenant governor of nevada if i'm not mistaken.
0: You know, he's a guy who will use the the word Shylock. You know, he'll say anti-Semitic things. He will uh, have gaffes where he basically equates poor people with black people. So, so, so like, uh, in terms of faux pas regarding race, uh, in terms of um, things that are really, you know, sexual harassment and sexual assault in terms of lacking consent, he is a kind of maybe milder version of all the offensive things about trump with regard to to race and gender
1: yeah and and he allows the republicans to make the argument like oh look democrats say they care about but all they're this hypocrites woman- That's look right. at them they put up this the this weirdo who's always got his hands all over women and little girls and stuff and it's and it's just creeping everybody out and and, uh, you know, so pe- for people who maybe are cross pressured in that way, like they like Trump for some reason, but they're creeped out by his women's stuff. Right, like, they well, can say
0: this t- guy's just as bad. Who cares?
1: You know, they're all, every one of them is shitty. And so I'll just go with Trump in that way.
0: And, and look, th- there is an argument. If you compare, say Jimmy Carter and LBJ, you can say that you're not voting for moral character. In terms of the presidency, Jimmy Carter seems like a great, sweet guy, wonderful yep. human being, terrible president. Yep. And you can say LBJ, what a prick. He was a racist. He was just an asshole. Uh, but he got shit done and was very effective. So so you can see all kinds of rationalizations that, that uh, one might make in choosing a president and ignoring character when there's not a strong contrast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But... Uh, th- uh... There's no question that, you know, Biden is not any kind of, you know, get Medicare pass type of guy. Um, the other thing, again, same story on Social Security and Medicare. Trump has said on several occasions, um, he got baited into it by Fox News and saying like, oh, you're going to make some cuts to Medicare and Social Security? And he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, he, it's very easy to get him to agree to things. You know, he, right. he's, he's not confused. He's not very yeah, smart. Yeah. He doesn't understand this stuff. Incredibly stupid. But now he's back, you know, even after his budget, uh, proposed budget written almost certainly by Mick Mulvaney, has massive cuts to Medicare um, and Medicaid. Uh, now we're going to nominate a guy who's been saying for 30 years, we need to cut Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid. And that allows Trump and Trump's already Trump doing can
0: it. legitimately run to the left of Biden. On these economic issues, in
1: 2018, you know we've been through this with PolitiFact. Uh, Biden gave a speech at the Brookings Institution saying that Social Security and Medicare needed to be cut, um, that they needed means-tested cuts so that rich people wouldn't be taking the benefit. You know, just as um, just as we've uh, said before, you know, the the, the same argument for forever. Um, and now tr- Trump's already tweeting about it that uh i'm going to save your social security and 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 medicare and joe biden's going to take it away and it's again it's su- like i i kind of don't think that biden would do that though i don't think you could rule it out either given his record of deal making and his continued insistence that he wants to make Uh, Bipartisan compromises or even have a republican vice
0: president. He floated that possibility He he thinks that republicans are quote good guys who mean well I I I said quote, but he didn't actually say it in those words But essentially his philosophy is these are his buddies that we just differ on and we can make all kinds of deals and the, the the kinds of deals that he makes Serve republican interests.
1: Yeah Yeah, and so that gives up another big argument against trump that he has uh, he has said and he has proposed budgets, saying that he wants to cut Social Security and Medicare. Whereas Bernie has been absolutely dead against that for Consistent his entire for career, decades. It would be impossible. You know, n- nobody would 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 swallow the There's idea. There's a reason
0: that Trump has been scared since 2016 when he was worried that Bernie would be the VP selection, and, and kind of leaked uh, audio came out that he was worried that Hillary would pick Bernie. Uh, and there's a reason he doesn't really attack Bernie hardly ever. He doesn't know how to attack Bernie because that guy has integrity and he's been consistent in his career. He can't pin him down as part of the establishment. They'll come up with
1: something, you know, I I don't, Bernie's not, he's, he would absolutely be savaged by Republicans, but the, in those specific instances, he doesn't have, you know, the, the, the Gropi, McGroperson uh, problem. He doesn't have the austerity problem. Um, he doesn't have the trade problem. That's another one. You know, that's Trump's signature issue, trade. We're going to get rid of these bad deals. The bad deals, folks, who are going to get rid of them. That is, that's
0: the best deals. <laughs> that's how he took down Hillary in part, right? The, yeah. the corruption, the emails, and the trade deals.
1: And Biden's been, been yeah. in favor of all of these deals, you know, for, forever. And that's just another, another potentially campaign-winning uh, argument. You're giving up. You know, Basically,
0: he can attack Bernie on socialism, which Bernie's been doing this move that I feel ambivalent about, but he says we already have socialism for the rich. I hate this in a number of ways, but like the point is yeah. that there's a political choice to, as we've talked about, socialize risk and, and give subsidies to the wealthy, to the powerful, to the corporations. Let's actually give socialism to the people for once. And I think that's not a bad response.
1: Yeah. And then I think you know the the biggest thing and it's really starting to come up now uh is biden's clear cognitive decline um you know we, we can throw a couple of clips in here you know maybe one from 2016 and one from you know the last uh, couple of months
2: you know if bernie sanders never said he was a democratic socialist based on what he's saying people wouldn't be calling him a democratic socialist That's how he characterizes himself in sort of European terms, the Democratic Socialist parties in in Europe. But But why is she having trouble? Well, I I think that, that Bernie is speaking to a yearning that is deep and real, and he has credibility on it. And that is the absolute enormous concentration of wealth in a small group of people with the middle class now... Being able to be shown, being left out. There used to be a basic bargain: if you contributed to the profitability of an enterprise, you got to share in the profit. That's been broken. Productivity's up, wages are but stagnant. But Hillary's talking about that as well. Well, it's but it's 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 relatively new for Hillary to talk about that. Hillary's focus has been on other things up to now, and that's been Bernie's. Uh, No one questions Bernie's authenticity on those issues. And they question hers, you think? Well, I I think they question everybody's who hasn't been talking about it all along. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. Think about it. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by, go, you know the, you know the thing. One of the things I'm proudest of is getting passed, getting moved, get, getting control of the Paris Climate Accord. I'm the guy that came back after meeting with Deng Xiaoping and making the case that I believe China would join if we put pressure on them.
1: Um, Biden, you know, people have tried to, to blame this on his stutter, you know, which is like, OK, much sympathy to all the people with the stutter out there. He did not used to talk like this. No. As recently as as four or even two years ago. He was able to finish his sentences, um, follow a complex thought all the way to its conclusion, you know, make a sort of developed whole paragraph type of argument and and not just wander off in the weeds. Because no, the
0: stutter doesn't explain the kinds of mistakes he's making.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, he misses a word now and then. You could say that's a kind of stutter thing, but often he, he forgets what he's talking about He
0: forgets what he's talking about he forgets what's in the declaration of independence he forgets the name of president obama he 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 forgets you know he doesn't recognize his wife for his sister it, yeah. it, it is really really bad and and i just want to say that like biden with all of his um cognitive abilities functioning at top speed is dangerous and terrible and and you should never vote for him ever yeah but Forget all of that, no matter how good his principles were, no matter how good, like if he had Bernie's record and Bernie's platform, if he had just your, your dream of what a candidate's record should be, what a candidate's platform should be, what anything you could possibly think of, if you coupled that with his actual cognitive decline that we're witnessing right now, that itself would be a reason to say run away immediately. You cannot run this person for president.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's but
0: both in terms of electability, yes. but more importantly in terms of governance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're you're once again giving up Another strong argument against Trump, which is that he's an
0: idiot, and and Trump also has moments like that, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Trump is clearly also suffering cognitive decline. He he is. Yeah, uh, you, can, you
0: can put Trump a clip of Trump from four years ago in a Trump right like
1: yeah or ten years ago. No, no, um, even
0: four years ago. I remember because yeah. I do. You remember the the recent uh, the first Bloomberg debate? Uh, was there only one Bloomberg debate? Whatever the Bloomberg debate was, when the crowd scene bought off,
1: there were two of them. Yeah, the second yeah. yeah it's, one.
0: So, so the one where the 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 crowd scene paid for, um, there was a debate back when Trump was running in the primary four years ago, where there was booing. Yeah, and he like totally called out the crowd for being bought and paid for by the Republican establishment. Yeah. And he was just so, and and I was thinking, oh shit, Bernie didn't do this. Nobody did this. He was just really on top of it. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even from 2016, you know, you go back to his interviews from the eighties and Trump's a lot more even sharper, clear. Yeah. Um, and so there's another thing that we
0: can't use against Trump if, if we have Biden, right? Yeah. You you run
1: someone who seems frankly, maybe even worse than Trump. Oh, definitely.
0: No, definitely worse.
1: People who, people who are watching him, you know, like, uh, I think David Dayan said he, he saw him at an event and it looked like he had just stumbled out of his hospital bed.
0: No, he was literally right in, um, I think it was in St. Louis. Uh, they let him speak for seven minutes and pulled him. Right. Yeah. Like he is not. And we haven't thought about this with all the many candidates running. He has not been uh, allowed to speak uninterrupted for very long.
1: Yeah. And this, you know, you're giving up the, the argument that you need Trump. Uh, you need someone who can, you know, formulate a thought in the White House. Uh, and, and you're also probably giving up any kind of really serious campaign. You know, Biden is cruising right now. He's been
0: hiding. He's been hiding since Super Tuesday. Yeah. No one's seen him. Has anyone seen him?
1: (laughs) In St. Louis for seven minutes. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I mean, we see now that, like, the media makes a tremendous difference. But, like, campaigns do make a difference at the margin. You know, Hillary Clinton didn't visit Wisconsin for, for, like, the last nine months of the campaign. And, you know, ground game, uh, you know, Giving tons and tons of speeches, going out there interviews with the media. Yeah, these
0: things. Rachel Maddow was basically having an aneurysm because she obviously hasn't been um, contacted by the Biden campaign. She had Bernie Sanders on for an hour, and she had Elizabeth Warren on for an hour, and, and she repeatedly said, "I, you know, on national TV, I keep reaching out to the Biden campaign, and you know, why won't you come on? Come, you know, and you the, know why? We know why." He
1: couldn't handle it. He'd sound like a crazy person. And and so all of that stuff gets you a point, two points, three points, maybe something like that, you know, maybe more than that in the states where you really dump lots of resources in and you really try. And
0: and Trump will call him Sleepy Joe. Yeah. Or worse. And
1: it's and it's just it's it's an accurate nickname, you know, and and. Um, you could, you could really see him just cruising to victory on, on, on this, uh, just lack, you know, lack of effort. And then, um, you know, as you said, I mean, this isn't strictly about electability, but like the federal government is a fucking ruin. Um, Trump has just laid waste to the place. You know, you look at the just botched response to the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, the next president is going to have to fix all that shit. Yeah. And like, don't
0: forget part of why we need Bernie is that even with Bernie and a tremendous populist movement behind him, we're still maybe fucked in terms of climate change. There are tremendous challenges that need to be met with all the capacities we have to fight special interests in favor of the common good. Even with the popular will and tremendous pressure and tremendous goodwill and principled leaders, it's a tremendous challenge. I'm sorry for using that same freaking word over and over again. But this is just to say that, that if we have an incompetent, senile president who's also in bed with special interests, I mean, we're going down.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is the the worst time for uh, just a checked out caretaker president, you know, that people are sort of managing around. And, um, you know, Bernie's quite old himself, but he still seems very sharp and he's still running a very, you know, rigorous campaign. He's out there every day uh, talking to people and doing events and doing media and, and you know, talking for hours, um, you know, off the cuff and... Uh, he, you know, he's still got it, but Biden doesn't. And that's, it's
0: he just gotta, so He's going to get manipulated. He, he's also prone to compromise with the reactionary right, who is just, I mean, serving the interests of those who have extracted more and more from our earth and led to climate change and wealth inequality. Uh, you know, Bernie's also a fighter. He's going to yeah. fight and help encourage others to fight for the changes we need um but the this senility thing is no joke it's really yeah. it's really no joke and we'll, we'll play plenty of clips to show what we mean uh you know, he barely knows where he is half the time
1: yeah and and um you know as we as we said in our our last bonus episode you know i think we included it in the preview um you know people have been successfully kind of inculcated with this idea that biden is the sure bet but it just isn't the case you know i i think he could be trump i think anybody could be trump you know i think bernie absolutely could be trump but i think you know uh the the when you really weight the scales and you look at how campaigns work and you look at the polls and you look at the, the money-raising machine and maybe more importantly where the money is coming from, um, there's another thing that, that Biden gets gives away. He's going to have a big money campaign funded by big donors and not yes. the small dollar. He had
0: no money until the Clyburn endorsement and his win in South Carolina, and then like $100 million rolled in from the donor class immediately when they realized that this was their last stand against Bernie Sanders in a movement that threatens their wealth and power.
1: Yeah, and that's money. You know, money's useful, but as Mike Bloomberg shows, it's not everything. And, you know, Hillary Clinton's outspent Trump like uh, two to one almost, Um Depending on, you know, if you count super PACs and whatever. And he's but, gonna
0: have a big war chest already.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Trump's Massive, gonna have a huge, historic. yeah, huge money chest. And, you know, but where that money comes from makes a big difference. And what Bernie could say is like, look, all my money's coming from the people. That's right. I'm not taking any corporate dollars. You know, I don't have any super PACs that I'm sort of secretly controlling in violation of campaign law or any, any, uh, uh, that type of stuff. This is a this is a popular campaign. We're we're not take we're not on the take from anybody, and Biden will just you give that now, one up with too. With
0: Bernie, it can be socialism versus barbarism, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's a it's a beautiful contrast. Um, but but with Biden, you, you really have um, look at the electability issue this way. Anyone voting for Biden is either backing their wealth and power interests, right? It's a small, small group. So in terms of voters, it's a small group. They have a lot of money, but it's a small group of voters who want to protect their financial interests. But in terms of like the populace, you have people who have bought into the media narrative. And of course, Comcast own, owns MSNBC, and there's there's a lot of motivated reasoning going on yep. in these narratives. But people are being uh, convinced, and we talked about this last time, but a lot of new voters brought out by the Bernie campaign that drove away in a car with Bernie stickers uh, out of fear voted for Biden at the last minute because they were convinced he's electable. All these voters for Biden are voting uh, as anti-Trump voters. They, they are afraid of Trump winning. They don't want Trump to win. It's not... I mean, there's almost no one you can think of who just loves Biden or there's... I mean, if you asked, what is Biden's platform really about? What's he about as a candidate? No one knows. It's, it's I've, nothing.
1: I've never once heard or seen anyone cite a Joe Biden policy as a reason for voting for him. Exactly. Not once.
0: So, So basically, everyone voting for him is an anti-Trump voter, essentially. Well, anyone... Who wins a Democratic nomination then will get those voters because they want to defeat Trump. Yep. Okay. So then you look at well, wait a minute, if Bernie Sanders wins, right? Are you gonna lose any of those anti Trump voters? No, you're not. No. Will you gain will you gain voters that are pro Bernie for reasons not just anti Trump? Yes, you will, because he has a tremendous movement, diverse coalition, a tremendous positive vision. Yeah. So yeah. millions of people would vote for him for a positive reason. Are you going to lose any votes uh, from those people if you put Biden in? Definitely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There would be a lot of people very disappointed. You know, some of them, you know, maybe you could say irresponsibly, but nevertheless, it is what Such it is. It is what it is. They're 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 not going to be happy
0: about it. You're bringing no. in Republicans. You're bringing in independents. You're bringing in leftists who don't usually believe in electoral politics you have a millions more potential voters with Bernie Sanders.
1: Yeah. And this, you know, the, the, the whole electability thing uh, uh, and, and turn Bernie's model so far isn't really turning out. It's, it seems like, you know, the new voters are going for Biden, maybe, maybe by kind of happenstance as we've discussed. But we haven't really got a big test of that yet because that would have to happen in a general election. You That's know? right. The most disconnected voters don't really vote. In primaries. And
0: also Biden's been winning the red states, the states that won't go for Democrats anyway. Yeah. Right. Where is Bernie strong? Bernie's strong in places that we need to flip. He's strong in the Rust Belt. He's strong in the Sun Belt. He is the guy who can make up those votes that Clinton lost.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And at least, you know, I would say, I mean, motivated reasoning again, he's at least as equal a shot against Trump, and almost certainly better, you know, for all the reasons we've said. he He's the one that if you're just going on pure tactical grounds, you know, you look at how the campaign would play out and how the media narrative is going to play out, those things are going to matter, you know, probably quite a bit. Um,
0: he's going to be stronger. And he's a populist against a fake populist. He's an outsider against an outsider, right? Yeah. So So you can't use the things that you can use against an insider like Biden.
1: Yeah, not in the same way, you know. And so... You know, it's just people got to realize that that Biden is a a terrible, terrible risk, a terrible risk. As we as we've said, you know, we detailed at great length at the beginning of this episode uh, a risk with no benefit on the other end of it. You 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 push all your chips onto this thing, uh, a campaign that has no record or inclination evidenced uh, to. Uh, actually, achieve anything worthwhile to to, tr- to take on the f- the the like fifteen systemic crises that are eating this country from the inside. And not
0: only that, neoliberalism, which he has been the embodiment of, has given us Donald Trump because the relationship yep. be- between neoliberalism and fascism is a. Very complimentary, you know, symbiotic, symbiotic relationship. Exactly right. And so if you want simply another Trump, but a competent one, right? Like if if you want Biden to pave the way for somebody like Trump who actually realizes if they give us Medicare for all with fascism, that they'll be even more popular. We've talked about this before. Then that's the real you're gonna get the eco-fascist response that the shooter in El Paso wanted to have, right? Which is realizing the failures of capitalism, but solving it by excluding certain others, quote unquote others, as the solution. And and that's the danger that we have here before us.
1: Yeah, and this, you know, maybe to wrap up here, the uh you know, an- another reason to to think about bernie instead of biden is not just about this election but the the following election future that's right um because you know you're completely right that uh you know trump didn't come out of nowhere he came out of i would say in the first instance the bank bailout it was the 2008 crisis and the bungled response that has led to the rise of of global fascism again just like in 1929 it's not the only factor but i would say it's the most important one and so you need someone who is going to try to drain that abscess, so to speak, to to lance the boil of social insecurity that is that is um, fueling all these right wing extremist movements. Um, and, you know, it's not going to be easy, but you 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 know, you need someone who's going to at least try to do that, to try to do to try to attack climate change in an egalitarian Fashion to try to reduce the inequality that's destroying this country, um, and try to you know refound American democratic institutions in a way that is you know sort of sustainable in the future. And you could maybe win with Biden. Again, I think Biden could win, but what happens after him? What
0: sets back the movement? And look, if you look at the exit polls, it is the most clear thing is the division by age. Yep. The future is with the democratic socialists. The future is with the young people who understand all these existential threats. They understand the need to be more collective in our responses to all these crises. They yeah. understand that the future is with Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Elon Omar, right? Rashida Tlaib. Uh, they understand that. The old people are being selfish and blind and holding on to their power as against the needs of the precarious youth against the future. They understand that global fascism is on the rise. They understand the need for solidarity domestically and abroad. They understand that this pandemic of coronavirus of COVID-19 is the perfect indictment, not just of the failure to have free public health care right like that would that would mitigate this terrible pandemic but also the fact that we don't have paid leave that we don't have all these things that show how interconnected our lives truly are they see that all these problems are not just caused by but exacerbated by our bullshit individualism and that pretends we're not interconnected in the way we actually are
1: Couldn't have said it better
0: <laughs> siri wants to know what we're talking about
1: yeah well um i think we'll call it it's been a little bit long yeah. but uh you know we we wanted to do this one justice yeah but uh yeah, thanks for listening everybody vote, b- vote
0: bernie spread for the word
1: fuck's sake
0: <laughs> spread the word about biden share this episode donate to bernie do everything you can the future is in your hands god bless you all
1: bye-bye just a quick reminder folks that uh, if you enjoyed that episode um you can support the show at patreon.com slash left anchor. Got dozens of bonus episodes there and we'd appreciate the support. But in any case, thanks for listening.